right, what's up, everybody? Welcome back to a lower volume, a more relaxed Cork Stats. I'm recovering from some sickness. The man with us today needs no introduction here at the Mayo Media Network. Please rate, review, and subscribe. It's the progenitor of the Bat X and probably one of the nicest, most professional, and greatest contributors to this space of ours. Mr. Derek Cordy, what's up, my friend? Welcome to Mayo Media. Yeah, thanks so much for having me on. I appreciate it. Yeah, I'm such a huge fan of yours, Derek. One of the coolest parts of getting into this space is, I don't know, becoming friends. Are we friends? I don't know. I kind of, I consider you my friend. Okay. But like, but yeah, but I more mean like interacting with the people behind the mic. And I have to say, not all the interactions are as nice as yours. Again, you're one of the most genuine people. And for all the work you do, gosh, you do a really great job defending a ton of it. Hopefully we'll do some of that today. Um, you want to just plug all your stuff? You have so much great stuff going on. The DFS stuff is great. Just just plug what you got, man. Yeah, so uh, you can find me on Twitter at Derek Cardi. Um, you know, the main stuff I do is, is the projections, the bat, the bat X. Uh, they're free at Fangraphs for season-long fantasy leagues. For DFS, there's a subscription at Roto-Grinders. For sports betting, there's a subscription at EV Analytics. Um they're really good. You know, every year they run, you know, people run, you know, third party accuracy tests and the bat is, is pretty much always the, you know, the top, the top original system, which is, which is really nice uh, for sports betting purposes. Last year I started tracking picks. I did shows and stuff uh, over a hundred units, like 25% ROI. I put out a tweet the other day. So however you're using it, uh, it's going to help you. But yeah, I was saying <laughs> I have this Cheshire cat smile on because uh, yeah, the bat X, it's pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> I talk about talk about like one of the all-time undersells. Listen, people, the highest compliment I can give anybody, and this is outside of personal stuff in, in, in the professional realm, is when I use your work, incorporate it to the point where I question it. That's the best compliment I can give anybody. Derek, your bet X stuff is <laughs> phenomenal. And we're going to get into, at the very end, gosh, what's got me gulping a little bit is not to say I don't want to disagree with you, it's just that the bat X, which you incorporate StatCast data with, I feel is very important to build inputs, right? Inputs greater than sign outputs. And you doing that without us ever talking about it, I've always found we've aligned this year, not so much. But first, to the people now getting into it, you know, NFBC is doing such a great job exposing high stakes theory and roto to new players. And we get a lot of that here at Mayo Media, so I like that. That's what we like. It's kind of a 101, right? Me and you could do a three hour dissertation another time. For the players that are just getting into projections, because we have podcasts solely dedicated to using them, having computer programmers build your roster using them. So, one, would you like, I don't know, should we just go absolutely with projections? They are median outcomes. Yes, they are. But now, I guess the question is if you build a team with the strongest median outcomes that should open the door to the highest score in general. I have found sometimes I find myself adjusting, which leads to what I feel is the biggest pitfall in fantasy baseball or prognosticating at all, which is double counting. And so my first question to you is what's, what do you think is the biggest pitfall that people could run into using projections? I think the first one is not using projections at all. I think if you're not using projections at all to any extent, I think you're just you're you're making a mistake. Um, if you already are like, okay, projections are cool, I'm gonna use them. Um, double counting is is the one that came to mind for me. Like 
if you're using projections, you want to, whether it's the bat or whether you're using something else, regardless, you want to understand what's going into the projection so that you're not trying to make an adjustment on top of it that the projection is already accounting for. I can't tell you the number of times I get people, oh, well, you know, the bat X doesn't like this player, but like he had such a good barrel rate last year. Like yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm just going to boost him up. Like I'm going to take him anyway. It's like, well, the projection knows that. Like that's already in there. So if you're going to deviate from a projection, I think you should understand what goes into it first, what doesn't go into it. And then from there, if you want to kind of add your own, you know, wrinkles or whatever, um, then I think you probably are going to do a better job of it than if you're just trying to rehash what the projection is already seeing in a more objective way. Yeah. Again, I'm laughing because uh, breaking news, they're recording the bat have identified bow rate in their projections. Everybody, you heard it here first. Derek Hardy has looked at the bow rate. Yeah, people, you know, we got to get that. Here is my favorite. And again, it's not a counter. And I wonder what you think about this. This is to the people that don't use projections, the one that think they're stupid, whatever. I think even if you don't use them in that manner, meaning even if you don't use projections to come to your own projections, I think you must recognize that a percentage of the population uses them and that will help you at least gauge their actions. And that's one of my favorite things about using projections that I don't agree with, right, Derek? So just because I don't agree with them doesn't mean I'm not using them. Again, a lot of the nuance that you add to your work, again, why I've gravitated you to myself. So like, would you, I don't even know if that's something to agree with, right? Like you should at least know that people use them and if the projections are really high on somebody, that probably means beware of them getting jumped, right? Yeah, exactly. You know, they're definitely helpful in determining what other people are going to do, which game theory is a huge part of, you know, a draft or an auction. You know, in a draft, you're deciding when to pull the trigger on a guy. In an auction, you're trying to figure out ahead of time where the values are going to be or how to, you know, there's all sorts of dynamics like that where, you know, that that's important. Yeah, I just started getting into auctions myself and, Man, I don't know if I want to play snake anymore. It's it's that good. Oh, I, I don't play snake drafts anymore. I I, I know I, that. I, I can't do it. They're terrible. Um, I only do auctions. Yeah, it's you know what? It, I we were I was talking about this with um Zach Waxman, who has an overall championship at NFPC. And it's the same thing, you know, it, it leaves you the just open, right? There's so much freedom in your movement and your analysis. And I've also mentioned as a snake player, I kind of like the back end. And what I found, Derek, is if you're always drafting at the back end of the 15 team leagues, there's an entire swath of players you're not exposed to. Like you're not going to get them, right? You know what I mean? There's just, it's just what it is. All right. So two projections again and using them. I've noticed, you know, again, we're paying attention to this stuff. 2019 in particular was a tremendous outlier. Happy fun ball, whatever we want to call it. Let's just call it anomalous offensively. We can't help but notice right or no i guess the projections look back three years or four years that's incorporated and we're hearing a lot of well if he just returns back to his 2019 form <laughs> every year those numbers to me look more and more i said the word already anomalous so could you talk to us just about 2019 if it presented hiccups if now that it's out of the three-year window are you looking past it do you think we should ignore it? Like just you, the floor is yours for 2019 because it's presented a lot of problems for us. Yeah. So obviously we had, you know, the, the biggest spike in offense, you know, that's, if we look at kind of how offense went, that was where the, 
the peak was. Um, I don't think we should throw it out just because it's anomalous. I think the, the way I handle it at least is I adjust for it. You know, it was a high spike in offense. I'm not looking at raw stats. I'm looking at, you know, stats that are adjusted for, you know, for the, you know, the environment that, that guys were playing in on any given year. So it, the bat is not treating 30 home runs in 2019, the same way it, it would treat 30 home runs in, you know, in 2022. So there, there's an adjustment being made there. And I think that's kind of the best thing, you know, that we can do the bat will use, I mean, it is what, four years away, four years in the past now. So it's not going to get as big of a weight anymore anyway. Um, you know, the bat will look back, you know, as far as 10 years, but it'll do it a different amount for every single component, every single stat. So for some, some stats, it's not looking at 2019 at all anymore for others. It is, um, but it will have a lower weight and it will be adjusted. Okay, sorry, I skipped for a second. No worries. All right, so yeah, I, I'm, I'm with you. And I I think to the people citing the 2019 bump, just be weary of that. Again, I think you're right. And I have to be careful sometimes. I come off as too, like, it's too binary. Like, it didn't happen and it's in, a, in the off circuit. Like, right, I turn it off, it's in the garbage. And it happened. And these are skills that players own, but... As we get further and further away, I think, it, you, you know, maybe you learn to separate it at least a bit. Again, you had the major word. It's adjustment, right? And I think that's everything is if you just lower the volume on them, they could probably still describe a pretty good story. So, all right, yeah. next up, 2019 was, of course, the you know, a big problem. The next one is the, the pink elephant in the room, of course, is the universal use of humidors now. I mean, I just put like the general humidor. It's because I don't even know where to start. So I think the first thing is, again, we were talking, you know, this kind of keep in line with weighing things and what to use. Are you looking at the data before the inception of universal use? Some parks had it. So I know some people are using only the data from parks that had humidors. Some people are using it as if it didn't matter straight through your averages. So talk to us just from a macro perspective, the Riccardi and use of the humidor. Yeah, so I'm going to preface this by saying I am not as confident in my humidor take as I am in a lot of other things. Um, I know everyone's kind of making a, everyone's made a big deal out of this humidor stuff. The way I'm approaching it is, is I'm not doing anything. It's, it's using past data. Um, it's not making adjustments. It's not doing anything. Um, part of that is, is, time like i'd like to go back and look at it more and if adjustments need to be made make those adjustments um but this offseason obviously major league baseball has thrown thrown a lot at us with defensive shifts and bases and pitch clocks and all this other stuff um so there have been other things that i i feel like have been more pressing on my time i'm building out you know the bad x version for pitchers uh so part of this is just because i haven't had the time to really dig in and fully understand it but part of it is also that I'm skeptical about whether, whether this is even a thing that matters. Um, wow, man. So like humidors, let's talk about the science behind humidors a little yeah. bit. So like we all know that humidors were a huge deal in Coors Field and they were a huge deal in, in Chase uh, in Arizona, even though at the time a lot of people were pretending like it wasn't a big deal, but it was. 
the reason it was such a big deal in Coors Field in Arizona is because what a humidor does essentially is it stores the ball at a constant temperature and humidity level. And that impacts the level of water saturation in the baseball. So for a place like Denver, for a place like Phoenix, Arizona, where it's really low humidity, it's really dry. The difference between those conditions and humidor conditions at, you know, 70 degrees, 50% humidity or whatever it is, um, is going to be very different. So instead of the ball being dried out previously, it's going to go in the humidor. It's going to soak up more water than it normally would. And the ball is going to be heavier, basically. You know, if you think about, you know, if you dunk a baseball in water and then you go out and you try to hit it, it's not going to go as far as it would have without being soaked in water. Us softball players know about that when there were puddles. Yeah, so for for Chase Field, uh, for Coors Field, we knew it was going to be a big deal because it just made sense. The, the gap was so drastic between generally what the conditions in that city are and what the humidor conditions are. But they're kind of the outliers. You look at other parks and – Generally, uh, the humidity levels, temperature levels in those cities are not very different from humidor conditions. Now, there is a big caveat to this, which is to say we don't know where balls were being stored previously in any of these parks. Were they being stored at city average conditions? Were they being stored in a damp basement somewhere? Were they being stored in an air-conditioned room? Like We have no idea. Um, and every park was going to have different conditions anyway. That's why Major League Baseball wanted to standardize this. Um, but for me, it doesn't check out. It doesn't check out that the humidors would have have this big of an impact, you know, like we saw with Coors and Chase Field when we're dealing with completely different conditions. And again, I may be completely wrong here, and there may be something else going on. Like I know there was some articles by – I think Meredith Meredith Wills did one. I think Eno did one um, that talked about you know some other things that might be going on with it, with you know the the ball expanding and contracting, and maybe like um, uh, I don't know the, the word I'm looking for, um, like uh, impacting whatever, impacting like the the quality of the ball or the shape of the ball, and like having these other effects and stuff, and like maybe there's something like that going on. Um, but again. I want to understand the science about this before I adjust my projections for it, before I start throwing out data. Um, and that might be the right thing to do, but I want to understand it better first. I talked with Eno in Arizona, first pitch Arizona back in the fall, because I think he did write one of those articles. I'm like, like, what do you think about these humidors? Like, should I spend my time this offseason making adjustments? Like, you've talked to people. He's like, honestly, I think what we saw last year was just the ball. I don't think it was humidors that much. Um, so I'm like, all right, well, I'm not going to waste my time doing it then. Um, cause that was kind of my inclination anyway, but at some point I want to dig back in. I want to figure it out more, but that's kind of my, my thoughts on it right now. The, the easiest part, the easiest science to understand about it doesn't really support that we should be seeing drastic changes in these parks. So if there are real legitimate changes happening in these parks, it's due to something besides that basic science that we understand about humidors. Well, gosh, yeah, again, I, you know, we knew we were going to be a bit in the weeds with this because, again, a lot of it is nebulous. A lot of it is the fault directly of Major League Baseball. 
because of the lack of you mentioned the major word, the operative word, Derek, is standardization. Now, this is weird. This is funny. I actually have a unique experience in this stuff. In another life, I was a commercial electrician, a New York City union electrician. So you work very high-end, dangerous. Like I was doing all the big, dangerous power plant stuff, right? So I can speak to this. And before we go home, boss says, hey, John and Derek, why don't you just drill a couple of holes, you know, one more, lay out one more thing before you go home. We drill it on this piece of steel. Come in the morning. Doesn't line up. What do you mean it doesn't line up? Derek and John are the two best guys. They're so anal retentive. They've never hung anything that doesn't work. They triple check and use laser levels. The change of environment moves the metal. Dude, and this is what blows my mind. 130-foot steel structure, right? Because this was after Superstorm Sandy. New York City wanted to create a new bus loop, a new way to get... It's Think of it as a giant switch, like a subway track, to re... You know, to change where the power comes from. And obviously, these the equipment's tremendous. So think about it. Like a 130-foot steel structure can shift by weather overnight. So... If we had standardization, and I spoke to Barton Smith about this, he's objectively brilliant, you know. If we had standardization and the balls were being kept, the same ball was being kept in the same manner, even the delivery method and the time spent outside of the humidor would matter because there's always the whatever natural homeostasis for my biodome fans out there. Right. That's always gonna be the case. The things that we're now learning, again, I'm learning not from smarter people, that Barton was saying is the ball is way more disparate than where we understand because the changes are indiscernible to the naked eye but can be determined with like calipers and, you know, cool scientific stuff. And if you had that information, theoretically, and I'm not saying anybody's doing this, theoretically... If you had your hands on the balls early, theoretically, of course, you could be binning which balls would spin certain ways. Because though equilibrium is trying to be asserted, think about, like you said, a a wet baseball. A wet baseball trying to dry does not dry equally. That's not how science works. It dries to the surface air of the oxygen first. So again, we're, we're talking about I don't even know a gillimeter. I'm going to make that up. I don't even know what it is. But we are talking about changes that matter, that can be determined that we're not. So what I'm trying to paint to people is, this. I believe all this stuff really, really matters. Now, though that sounds like it's in disagreement with you, Derek, I don't think I disagree with your execution. Because while we struggle to quantify it, I think that's where you get in trouble, is trying to quantify something that we can't, right? Taking mathematical action. Though... I think on the edges, which you all also identified, I think it's worth looking at. Let's wrap this up because my voice is giving out. And this is where it's going to go. Because, again, we're talking moisture. We're talking on the extremes. One of the things I noticed, again, Derek, as just the biggest proponent of your work, I mean, your work has stemmed branches of my own work. You know what I mean? Like, it's, it's objectively brilliant. So I don't want you to think like I'm pushing back on you trying to one-up the master here. You know, I know who the grasshopper is, right? The lion and the mouse, let's say. I've noticed Seattle, coastal city, 
Also, lots of changes I know about from being a big whiskey guy. When you talk about salt and changes in air temperature, that's another big determinant factor in material movement, right? These things literally, they quite literally manipulate material, like we mentioned with the steel and the ball. So I noticed Seattle, the bat and Derek Hardy, you are the low person across the board on pretty much all right-handed Seattle hitters. I mean, you know, Julio, Teoscar, guys, I particularly love, let's put a bow on this, hopefully people will enjoy this one. I'm more of an input stat guy, again, input over output. And I know, again, these stats are not perfect because it depends what hitters are playing in the park. But we're not looking at total home runs. We're looking at home run to fly ball and home run per barrel, things that I think matter. Seattle, top five across the board for right-handed hitters, number three, number four across the board. But if you were to look at the three-year rolling averages that I mentioned in the beginning, again, hopefully the bowls are spinning and starting to come together for people. Seattle is like a man. I think it's a 99, which I know is like, oh, well, it's just 1% below average. Yeah, but it's like a 20th rank. It's not a good park. It's not a good park. So if it's a certainly a far cry from a top three, four hitter park. You know, so I think you could see where I'm going is, is this going to be our just our case study? And I'm not asking you to say, you're right, I'm wrong, who's right and wrong. I'm never about that. Should we be keeping a close eye on Seattle, Derek, as our case study of, Man, because there's a this seems like the stadium with the big disparity, and I'm pushing my Mariners forward, and a lot of those projection people that I mentioned, without double counting, are going to be pulling back the reins on Seattle, seeing the bat X that they trust wholly is low on it. So now that I've done my soapbox thing to show people, I I try and reek of effort where I can. You know what? What do you th- what do you think, man? I mean, I just could be barking up the wrong tree. I fully admit that. Talk to me about Seattle, and if you think maybe it's a good case study. Yeah. So I'm not sure why the bad X is lower on those guys. Um, it likes Seattle as a spot for right-handed home runs. It has Seattle's right-handed home run factor as the the fourth highest in baseball. That's what I'm saying. Oh, see, I, I, see, I incorrectly assume, and I should never assume. I, it's the best information I had was your projections were low, so I, I assumed and asserted, and I apologize because I'm wrong. I was wrong. No, it's fine. I mean, there's no way for you to, to know that. So I, I, I looked into it when you, you pointed this out to me to see. I'm like, oh, well, like let's see where it even is. And uh, yeah, the only parks it has better for right-handed hitting home runs is uh, Great American Ballpark. Yep. Uh, Coors. And uh, Dodger Stadium, that's it. Oh, how about Washington's up there too, right? Washington's fantastic for right-handed power right now. It has Washington top 10, it looks like, but not not as high as Seattle. Oh, okay. So maybe we'll see. I had that at the root of Josiah Gray's nightmares. And and Joey (laughs) Manessa. Anyway, anyway, Washington right-handed hitters has a couple of anomalies going on. So go go, go ahead. Talk to us about it. Talk to us about it. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I, I don't know what it would be then. I mean, it could be, I don't know. Could could be any number of things because so much. Do you know what of- I want? Do you know what I want more than anything in my life as an analyst is for Derek Carter to tell me he's going to move his bat X projections because of something I said. Oh, <laughs> let me dream. Let don't even answer. Just let a man dream, Derek. Let a man dream because that would quite. I mean, quite literally, Aesop himself is upstairs somewhere going. That is my lion and the mouse moment. You know because again. I am like, I try and think of myself as, I try and be like the best representation of the public. Like there's some smart, there's certainly some stupid, there's some hand in the dirt, there's some spreadsheet, but there's some goofiness. Like I I, I feel like, uh, like I'm the masses. And I know when I go up against people like you, I generally lose. But 
on the outcome. I win because I learn. You know what I mean? Challenging you. So again, I, I'm always so careful because I hate this. I, I don't. I hate for you to leave this being like, man, like who the hell is this guy? Think he's a stupid bastard, you know? But so whatever. If I see Julio Rodriguez's home run total move up one, yeah. no, I, I, mean, I, I, I like <laughs> your approach, you know. And I'm. It's not like I think I'm absolutely right about everything. Also, like. I like having conversations. I like thinking about where I might be wrong and where I can learn and get better. So, you know, there's there's no issue here. Well, that's one of your, I mean, you wear it proudly, right? It's not it's no shock. That's one of your best um, attributes. And I think becomes one of your best assets, Derek, is you could easily be smug and pompous and not answer people. You take time. If a, someone could have eight followers on Twitter and you will write them exactly why you think something. And I know myself, and I could speak for a lot of the, I don't know, younger, I'm not young, but newer analysts will say, it's what we really respect about you. Because, again, you could just say, this is it, and I don't care what you think. And you're like this open book, like, come, 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 come get it. You know, so I really do appreciate you, you know, just being like so so open and accepting to it. So, all right, right at the 25-minute mark, that'll do it. I think I made my bosses and overlords happy. My ears are on fire. Derek. I love you, man. You're so good to all of us and all the work that you do. You make it so readily available. Wrap it up. Get us out of here. And and all, and again, everybody, this guy's, God, this guy's DFS stuff is so good. I had to start using it. I had to start using it. You know, I was kind of doing my own. And again, now I use yours and try and find the places I can find through the dials. So Derek, take us out, pl- plug your stuff, which is so excellent. And got to admit that hair looking pretty good for last minute, buddy. <laughs> Thanks. Uh, yeah, at Derek Hardy on Twitter, the Bat and the Bat X projection systems on Fangraphs for season long, at Roto Grinders for DFS, at EV Analytics for sports betting. All right, everybody, that was it. Mayo Media Net bringing you some preseason fantasy baseball love. You know, we had um, Zach in, we had Matt Modique in here, now Derek Hardy. So doing a little bit of the yin and yang, right, from the spreadsheet to the hand in the dirt, because I think all that stuff really matters. So thank you so much for picking up what we're putting down here at Mayo Media Net. Rate, review, and subscribe because, of course, that stuff matters way more than it should. No one is out there asking, hey, is that host smart or is he compelling? No, it's how many likes and Twitter followers do you have because that stuff, again, matters more than it should. So do all the good Twitter stuff because I like to yell at my computer screen and I don't want to go back to selling oranges on the side of the highway. Remember, when you work this hard, it feels a lot less like luck, yo. We'll see you later, Derek. Thanks again, man. Peace, everyone.